Hello, and welcome to another episode of Free Lunch by the Peak, the podcast where we talk to people way smarter than us about the most important topics in Canadian business, economics, and policy. I'm your host, Taylor Scollin. So Canada's job market is pretty confusing right now. On one hand, you have the good. Unemployment is still near record lows. Last month's job numbers from StatsCan exceeded expectations for jobs created and wages are finally starting to increase faster than inflation. All good things. But on the other hand, our population is growing so quickly that we actually added more people in July than the 40,000 net new jobs that were created. Job vacancies are starting to dry up and people are switching jobs less frequently. And compared to the US, our wage growth has not been great at all. So all bad things. I thought to unpack this, it was time to have one of the first guests we ever had on the show back on to explain what's going on out there in Canada's job market and what it means for all of us who have to toil for a paycheck. Brendan Bernard is the senior economist at Indeed.com, and he's back with us today to talk all things job market. Brendan, thanks for coming back on Free Lunch as our first ever second time guest. What an honor. It's great to be here. (laughs) Yes, a huge honor. So, I mean, last week we had the the jobs report, the latest uh, labor force survey. So why don't we start with just an overview of that? Uh, what did that tell us and what stood out to you that you thought was interesting? Uh, so I think the August labor force survey showed the Canadian labor market treading water. Uh, and the key number that, that I sort of tr- uh, point to for that kind of assessment is the unemployment rate which held steady at 5.5% after rising like a full 0.5% from 5.0% uh, earlier in the year over like the mm. prior few months. So holding steady in that regard uh, and kind of in a bit of a weaker state than, uh, th- than, we, than we were uh, standing early in the year. Now the headline kind of, and it's always the headline number that comes out of the jobs report uh, was the 40,000 increase in employment uh, that, that August showed. The Canadian employment bounces around month over month, but you know that, that does seem like a lot. And historically, uh, 40,000 uh, would, would have been a really uh, strong month for employment growth. These days, though, uh, it, the, the bar is raised. And that's because of something that was really emphasized uh, in, in StatCan's write-up and all the coverage of the LFS this past month was how fast the Canadian population was growing. Over 100,000, uh, at least recorded in the LFS in mm-hmm. August. And what that does is it just raises the bar on what we should consider an even decent monthly job number. Because more people, especially more working age people, uh, means more potential workers. And so for uh, kind of utilization of the potential labor force, uh, to sort of keep up with that population growth, you need really rapid job growth to match that population. Uh, and um, and hmm. in fact, that 40,000 didn't quite even match it. And so the uh, employment rate, which is the number of people working divided by the population, actually ticked down slightly. And I think this has been, in just in general, like stepping back from this one monthly job number, kind of... Uh, a sort of defining theme of the Canadian labor market over the past year or at least six months. Uh, but I'd say over, over the past year that uh, 
Overall, the number of people working has been rising at a historically decent pace, but the Canadian population growth is booming. And so uh, when we kind of like look at different rates of like utilization of, uh, of the labor force, so the unemployment rate, which I think is kind of like the bellwether measure, but other measures as well, like the working age employment rate, that's a share of 15 to 64 year olds with a job. Also, um, and, and, and that's also t- ticked down. So, kind of showing a similar pattern as the unemployment rate. Also, uh, the part, the number of people working part time for economic reasons. That those are people who are working in jobs where they're usually working thirty hours a week, but they want a job that uh, uh, that is a full full time job. Those ranks have ticked up a bit. So all kind of consistent with signs of like Canadian labor market that isn't strong as it was, but sort of in aggregate is being boosted by just the rapid population growth. Hmm. Okay. When you talk about it uh, weakening slightly, at least, where is that starting to show up? If the unemployment rate is holding steady, where do you see that weakening uh, starting to so, so, the, so the steadiness was month over month, but like things things have like okay. uh, things are up a bit um, uh, from this start of the year. Um, and so, uh, I mean, uh, w- one of the groups where we can kind of see see a bit of uh, weakness uh, is among youth, um, uh, and, and this showed up um, especially at the start of the summer, where um, uh, where I believe it was in May, where the summer hiring season got off to an especially slow start. And it was partially a slow start because the number of summer jobs added wasn't that high. But also, when we're just bringing things back to population growth, it's youth that are actually an outsized contributor um, uh, to, to, to Canadian population growth right now. Kind of fitting with um, the story about uh, uh, um, uh, foreign students coming to Canada, um, uh, also potential other temporary uh, uh, workers on p- temporary visas. But just in general... Um, uh, uh, the youth job numbers have, have definitely been a, a bit softer um, this year. And then looking across sectors, I think um, there we sort of see some signs and maybe some cyclical weakness. So kind of over the past year or so, manufacturing, construction, just like on, on the flatter side uh, of things. Um, uh, and, and like, and so not great there. Um, I, I'd also at least... For a few months, uh, I, I would have also pointed to professional, scientific, and technical services, which is kind of like the a catch-all term for Canada's sort of white-collar uh, uh, private sector, and uh, which had been the, the leader of job growth uh, uh, for, for much of the pandemic recovery, then kind of showed uh, several uh, months of decline. Now, of course, uh, that decline, uh, you know, LFS is so frustrating because you see a trend and you think you're understanding what's going on, and then, you know, uh, professional services bounce back in uh, in August pretty strongly, so I can't mm-hmm. even chalk that one up to uh, uh, the the weaker trend. But uh, overall, I think um, I, I I think there uh, across a lot of areas, just uh, the the pace pace of growth has probably cooled down uh, a, a bit, and at, at the time when uh, the overall uh, size of the population is still growing rapidly. Okay, my understanding of sort of the theory of this uh, soft landing idea is that, you know, we'll avoid, you know, serious wide scale job losses. And instead what we'll have is job vacancies start to slowly shrink. So I guess first, is that correct? And second, 
are you seeing signs that that might be happening? I think that's actually a pretty good summation of how the labor market has evolved over the past year. Uh, so and, and so when like when we're tr- when we're looking at the LFS numbers, you know these monthly changes, uh, uh, those are net changes. That is the number of people like working in August compared to July. But like within that net change, there are the gross changes, meaning there's a lot of jobs being started, and then there are a lot of jobs being ended, uh, either through layoff or people leaving. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's in sort of, so when we look at like, uh, the, both the headline job numbers and the job numbers by industry, uh, it, like the monthly change is that net change, but there's all this, all this movement going underneath that when we're talking about job losses, really, we're talking about the number of people losing their jobs. That's kind of different than what we, um, mean when we're, uh, tracking net job loss. And so like with that in mind, one of I think like the def- one of the main trends that's happened over the past year uh, in the labor market is that the number of new jobs being started in any given month has been pretty low uh, for most months over the past year. The kind of the number of jobs where uh, in, in the LFS, you can kind of track this by tracking the number of workers who've been at their job for one month or less. Those that is sort of like a rate of new hires. Those rates have been uh, well below typical uh, seasonal averages for like most of uh, uh, the past year. The flip side, though, is that layoffs have also been low. Uh, so in the, in the same uh, LFS, we can kind of track uh, the number of people newly out of work who were who left their previous job because they were either laid off or discharged. And uh, in that metric also has been quite low. Uh, so I, I think this is like a g- g- good um, uh, or an important part of the story of why uh, even though the job market has slowed down, it hasn't made a full U-turn because the number of job losses actually hasn't been that great uh, o- over the past year. It's just that job creation has been uh, pretty subdued. And that kind of combination that's sort of resulted in a bit of a slowdown um, uh, in the labor market, but not a dramatic one, not a recessionary one. If you're anything like me, you have no patience for boring conferences. There really is nothing worse. And that's why here at The Peak, we launched the Bet on Canada Summit an event series jam-packed with lively networking, fascinating discussions from some of the top thinkers in Canadian business and economics, and zero risk of dozing off in the back row. Join the top Canadian business leaders sharing insights on AI, economics, people, and climate in more than 15 interactive sessions. We're hitting Calgary on October 23rd, Vancouver on October 25th, and Toronto on November 2nd. Get your spot at betoncanadasummit.com today. Okay. I want to pick up on that, but I was just thinking as you were talking earlier about the growth in population. Uh, and I have a couple of mechanical questions about that, which I don't know if these are silly questions or, or not, but it does strike me that the population is growing so quickly. And I'm curious if that creates any sort of measurement issues for stats can like, is it, difficult or uh has it become much more difficult to actually 
figure out how many people are working and what share of the population is employed and what they're making? Like, has it created, I guess, data collection problems? <laughs> Big time. Uh, and in fact, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday, September 13th. Uh, there's some chatter uh, that, you know, there could be some uh, like pretty substantial changes to um, our officially recorded uh, population um, numbers. Um, and this is particularly the case uh, when we kind of uh, like, even in our official population uh, data, it's very clear that Canada's soaring population growth over the past, since like the start of 2022, it's really been driven by non-permanent residents. And just understandably, those, those people are going to be tougher to track in the data. And uh, part of the source of the controversy um, uh, around, uh, you know, where the Canadian population stands right now is tracking people um, whose per work permits have maybe expired uh, and um, and uh, what, what, what we kind of how we, uh, you know, count th those people um, in the numbers uh, is so, uh, yeah, it's a major challenge um, tr uh, to kind of uh, track uh, for, for both tracking like the size of the population, but then that also feeds into tracking the job market as well, especially when it comes to the labor force survey, because the labor force survey is really all underpinned by that estimate of the population. Because the way the LFS is kind of like put all put together is StatCan goes out and surveys tens of thousands of households and then gives each respondent a weight uh, based uh, of, of the population based on their understanding of uh, the overall like macro level um, po po size mm. of the population. And so if that weight is um, uh, missing something, if it's either too large, too small, um, th th that's going to be sort of uh, translated into the LFS and, LFS and cause challenges there. This is actually, though, um, one reason that um, I'm a big fan of uh, tracking a, a alternative set of Canadian job numbers that doesn't get enough uh uh, sort of uh, pop, but uh, but I think is just as informative as the LFS, and that is the survey of of employment, payrolls, and hours, uh, otherwise known as CEF. Um, and CEF is uh, a totally different way of tracking the job market that, uh, in some ways, might be able to better handle uh, these uh, uncertain questions about population. And that's because CEF isn't a household survey; it's a business survey, but it's not just a survey. It's also um, administrative data. The, uh, the CEF, rather than tracking the number of people working, CEF tracks the number of paychecks that are delivered in a given month. And that kind of through that paycheck, mm. uh, uh, every paycheck on the books, at least, sends uh, some record of that uh, to um, uh, the, the government for uh, EI purposes, uh, employment uh, insurance uh, uh, deduction and, and the CRA and things like that. And uh, and that is the information. Uh, th that's the main source of the payroll count that Seth puts together every month. And uh, and in Seth's case, um, you know, uh, as long as people are on the books, uh, they, they should be tracked as uh, pay payroll employment. And um, per perhaps uh, interestingly, kind of uh, early on in the pandemic, Seth actually lagged the LFS in terms of the, the number of uh, people working. So Seth showed a bit of a larger decline uh, than, the, than the LFS early on. And that was for a, a bunch of reasons, not just uh, potentially this 
population question. But the SEF growth has been pretty strong lately, even a bit stronger than the LFS. And, um, and you know, one potential reason is that uh, it's doing a better job of, uh, of capturing um, population growth uh, than the LFS is. Now, one, what, uh, two sort of caveats on CEF, though. Um, one is that uh, it only tracks payroll employment. So self-employment is not included in CEF. Um, and then another uh, caveat, and I think like the main reason that Ceph doesn't get uh, the same pub that uh, that the LFS does is that it's roughly two months lagged from uh, from the LFS. So our most recent uh, Ceph data came out uh, is for June, whereas we've got LFS data for August. So you know we already get the LFS job numbers, and so no one there's not like an appetite to you know really dive into. Uh, um, you know, another set of job numbers that's sometimes contradictory uh, uh, t- two months later. So it doesn't get the same pub. Um, but that, that's actually one area of, uh, of the job uh, is kind of that I, I, with the challenges measuring population growth. Uh, I, I think that's a, a, an air area we should like pay a bit more attention to, though I'm biased. I, I've been on Team Ceph uh, for a long time. I, I feel like I can just ask you, questions for the next 30 minutes about how these data sources are put together because it's so fascinating about you know we're making these very important decisions that affect everyone based on this information at least in part and uh the more that you dig into how it's actually constructed the more uh you know challenges and clear it is how difficult it is to put something together that's accurate but i do think we'll start to lose people if i continue down this road so let me go back to uh, maybe an issue that's more relevant in people's day-to-day life, uh, which is wages. Yeah. So what's going on with wages right now? Uh, you know, I know in the States, it's been the case that real wages are starting to outpace inflation, at least for a little while now. Are we seeing a similar trend here? Uh, yeah, we, we have seen uh, real wages in Canada start to bounce back recently. Um, and, and so like for background, you know, what we mean by real wages is it's basically like the pace of average pay growth minus uh, h- how much inflation is taking out uh, of that pay growth. And uh, a key factor in the sort of like, uh, so we're seeing real wage growth in, uh, I think, depending on the measure, maybe one to two percent year over year right now, um, and, and, and a, a lot of that is coming from the fact that inflation has come down uh, quite a bit. Uh, latest year over year readings are in sort of the three percent, maybe slightly above that uh, range, and um, and depending on the can- Canadian wage growth measure, um, wages are up uh, maybe uh, uh, four to five percent, uh, d- depending. Um, on on that number, and so uh, so there's uh, we're seeing a bit of a clawback in the loss of purchasing power uh, that came that happened in uh, 2021 and 2022 when um, uh, prices spiked and wages started to pick up, uh, especially in 2022, uh, but with much more of a lag and really didn't like match um, uh, uh, the spike in the cost of living that we saw. And so bit of a bit of a clawback more. Recently, um, but uh, but still, kind of like uh, understandable that p- it's kind of feeling a little too too little too late at this point. Um, though you know, uh, uh, if, if this if this pattern continues, then maybe we'll uh, maybe people will uh, be 
sort of feeling a bit better about how far their paychecks are going. But uh, still for now, um, uh, kind of still that that shock and awe from w- w- what happened uh, in, in 2022 st- still ling- lingers with us. So if we go back to the period when inflation started to take off and we compare that against how wages have changed since that time, is it true that people's purchasing power still hasn't recovered from that inflationary period? That, that, that's right. So um, looking at just like uh, average hourly earnings in the labor force survey and then kind of adjusting that for inflation from a year ago, uh, uh, th- those earnings are up 1.7%, which is okay. Um, and at the same time, if we compare that July 2023 number to July 2021, they're still down 1.3%. So kind of a, a bit of like a w- partial recovery there. Uh, and it kind of gives a sense of how much that hit was um, uh, uh, at, at the bottom in, uh, in, in mid-2022, but, but yeah. not, not a full rebound yet. And, um, and, and I think uh, that, that, that earlier decline is still uh, looming large in people's minds. Is there any data out there on how wage changes break down by different income brackets, like how people earning the least have they you know seen more wage growth than people earning the most or anything around that yeah so so uh, there, there's a few ways of of tracking that and di- different um data sources w- one of the uh, one of the ways i use the labor force survey to track it uh, is looking at how the pay of different occupations um are evolving uh, and, and so, uh, so here's kind of like looking at like low wage job types versus mid wage ones versus mm-hmm. high wage ones. And, um, there's kind of like an interesting, uh, uh, dynamic. If we look at, like, depending on sort of like the starting point of how the kind of tilt of wage growth, uh, looks and by tilt, I mean, uh, uh, if you kind of like imagine a scatter plot where the average wage of, uh, each job type is on the kind of horizontal axis and then how much the wages are growing are on uh, the vertical, uh, w- faster wage growth at the top would be like an upward tilt to the wage uh, to to uh, weight, occupational wage growth. Um, and so d- uh, it, it, depending on like the time frame, like if, uh, looking versus pre-pandemic uh, versus more recently, but like looking versus pre-pandemic, there's a interesting um, kind of phenomenon at the headline level where uh, it looks like overall uh, across occupations, there's been pretty similar um, wage growth among low-wage jobs, mid-wage jobs, and higher-wage jobs. Um, But sort of drilling down down a little bit uh, beneath that, uh, there's a kind of uh, interesting contrast that part of the reason it doesn't look like there's been much tilt to wage growth, that low-wage and mid-wage, high-wage all look pretty uh, similar, uh, is that public sector wages have been growing pretty slowly. Uh, and public sector jobs tend to be sort of higher paying occupations, professional mm. jobs, healthcare jobs, uh, um, for instance. Those jobs are, uh, uh, the, the pay in those jobs are uh, growing pretty slowly. And so when we zoom in on private sector employees specifically, uh, over the past few years, it's actually been uh, higher wage uh, private sector uh, job types uh, that have outpaced uh, lower lower wage ones, and so um, kind of uh, th- that's an interesting phenomenon. Sort of uh, 
kind of especially curious, um, kind of given sort of like um, what we've seen elsewhere in other aspects of the job markets, that there was a ton of job openings, for instance, especially in like 2021 and 2022 in, uh, in areas like food services, lower paying yeah. private, private sector work didn't translate so much um, uh, into wage growth. Um, but, uh, that kind of like looks different when we look at specifically private sector, uh, uh, jobs in uh, private sector. That said though, there's also been some other change, like summing this all up is a little complicated because there are also changes in the types of jobs people are working. And what I mean by that is that there are fewer people working in, uh, or at least the share of the labor market working in lower paying occupations has declined. And this has actually been a kind of important source of Canadian income growth over this kind of four year period that sort of has shift up the occupational job ladder of people working in the types of jobs that are uh, that generally pay better. Uh, and so um, that kind of like co- complicates uh, the, the story as well, that they're going to be. People sort of who are who've remained in those lower paying job types seems like they're probably um, uh, um, uh, struggling to keep up uh, uh, c- compared to others. But the, the, the sort of silver lining is that there are fewer people in that camp. People have found better jobs. Uh, and and w- w- one one group that where, where this uh, um, stands out and it's been kind of like in this sort of like goes back to some of the structural challenges facing the Canadian labor market overall is um, is among recent immigrants. Uh, so, you know, especially like heading into the pandemic and for decades, the past two decades or so, um, the underemployment of uh, recent immigrants has been one of like the labor market challenges in Canada. If you look, for instance, like share of um, uh, people with a university degree working in lower wage job types. Um, it's been way higher among uh, recent immigrants than uh, who, with university degrees than um, uh, p- immigrants who've been in Canada longer with degrees and people born in Canada um, with degrees. And that gap has narrowed uh, at least somewhat over the pandemic. Still a challenge. Um, uh, def- definitely like uh, not hasn't been solved, but um, that is, has been one of like the uh, positive stories of the labor market. And so kind of like, so shifts in the right direction in some ways, but then also uh, some people uh, being uh, left behind as well. I don't know if there's a a good answer to this necessarily, but how do you square that? This uh, seems to be a tension between, a lot of the stories we read about there being labor shortages in jobs that you would typically would typically be low wage jobs, you know, food service jobs, this sort of sectors like that, and what you just described of wages in those sectors not going up at least as quickly as they have in other sectors, and people leaving those sectors to get better jobs elsewhere. Like, why do you think there's not more? Uh, not more of a push in employers in these these sectors to raise wages, try to hang on to these people, fill those uh, vacancies. So, so I think there's um, a, f- a few things uh, going going on, um, and it's tough to like get like a uh, you know sharp answer. But I'm going to kind of like yeah. rattle off a th- few few different um, moving parts. I think one of the one of the um, uh, ways that employers adjusted to that sort of um, uh, tight labor market, especially at the low end, um, uh, earlier on in the pandemic, was put a lot of 
emphasis just on recruiting intensity, trying uh, just uh, having lots of job openings and trying to fill them uh, in uh, in different ways and put like both is sort of just like resources devoted to recruitment um, without necessarily um, uh, b- boosting uh, the that the actual pay that mm. much. So um, kind of uh, and and that probably resulted in uh, I think it definitely resulted in um, some jobs not getting filled. Um, but, uh, but, but, uh, that didn't translate really, uh, in, into especially higher, uh, uh, pay in, in that regard. Um, kind of, uh, to then now another sort of piece in the, in the puzzle, um, here, uh, is also then kind of relates to, uh, um, uh, job seekers themselves. And, um, and what, what I mean by that is, um, Unlike in the U.S., where uh, wage growth, especially in lower-paying jobs, really picked up in 2021, that pickup in uh, wages uh, in the U.S. was, um, uh, I think, in a lot of ways, sparked by the so-called Great Resignation. Uh, hmm. People uh, in lower-paying job types jumping from job to job, maybe within the same industry, but um, uh, like kicking off sort of like a bidding war process where uh, re- retention became uh, just as much of a sort of focus on raising wages as uh, as re- recruitment was. And that, I, th- I think that um, uh, process happened in Canada, but it happened more gradually later on in the cycle and just wasn't quite as intense. And so there, there hasn't, we haven't seen like that same level of like job hopping within sectors um, uh, like in, in that fierce and kind of like driving that fierce competition um, uh, to, to fill openings um, uh, that, uh, that the U S um, did early on in the pandemic. And I think like that sort of like kicked off um uh, a, a bit of a cycle. And then like m- more recently, kind of like turning to 2022, like the real question is, um, you know, what did the surge in Canada's population from abroad uh, do to this uh, er- area of the labor market? Um, uh, did it kind of like relieve the pressure um, from uh, em- employers uh, to, to, to really, really ramp up wages um, uh, 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 be- before it, it really got started, and w- wage growth at, at the lower end also like picked up in, in 2022, um, but uh, uh, sort of like not not enough to kind of like make up uh, like not not in a d- d- dramatic way. And um, and you know here we're kind of like getting back into some you know uh, d- data challenges and things like that. But um, one thing I have noticed actually um, with uh, uh, and it shows up in in our data on Indeed is um, is we can kind of take a look at um, the types of jobs that people from abroad are looking ex- searching for uh, w- when when they look at Canadian job postings and um, and pre pandemic and today actually um, uh, the the jobs with the highest foreign job seeker footprint generally are STEM jobs um, foreign job seekers are a major part of the kind of STEM and tech and engineering uh, um, recruitment ecosystem, but uh, while those those types of jobs have the highest uh, like foreign click shares in terms of level, where things changed the most pre-pandemic to uh, the, the start of 2022, and I think it's um continued to today, are more in lower 
paying job types. Uh, and so that is, so, so that would be uh, consistent with, you know, potential um, uh, f- for, um, uh, for like the, the surge in population to also be kind of w- one of the trends um, uh, underneath uh, the, the surface um, going on. But, you know, tracking this is like, is, is pretty tough in, in, in part because uh, uh, in the LFS, we actually, uh, among non-permanent residents, it's really tough to even like tr- track what industries um uh, th- these workers are actually employed in. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, like, I think, um, uh, all, all that means is that like, it's tough to actually like put like magnitudes on, on all these different, um, factors and to review that's, you know, uh, recruitment intensity, but lack of sort of, uh, um, uh, sort of, uh, passing that on, uh, into wages, the sort of like the limited impact, uh, uh that job hopping had compared, uh, to the U S and now more recently, um, what foreign migration uh, uh, has potentially uh, um, uh, meant for, for this area of the labor market. So I, you mentioned the great resignation, and I wanted to ask you about some of these pandemic trends, buzzwords that we heard a lot about. And the great resignation was one of them, um, because I know that the last time you were on, you talked about how it wasn't happening to the same degree here as it was in America. And I just I'm wondering uh, if you have any theories as to why that is. Why did Canadians not switch as much as Americans did? And it sounds like maybe to their detriment from a compensation perspective. So it's a good question. And, you know, here I'm kind of, um, it's both a question about Canada, but it's also a question about the U.S. Um, uh, Because like, uh, you know, I, I think in like going back to 2021, uh, in like sort of a period, you know, where like we're like reopening uh, both economies, actually. Um, uh, I think like there, there were just a lot of differences in how in both like the kind of how the respective economies like responded um, to, uh, to, to that reopening, but not just economies, like societies uh, in general. Um, uh, you know, the U S, um, like, uh, 2020 was a wild year, uh, in the U S the election, like the shutdown, the reopening, the angst, um, brought from kind of like the tension around the pandemic that was definitely seemed much more, um, than in Canada, um, you know, uh, um, uh, summer of protests, um, uh, in in the U S, um, that uh, also, you know, didn't have the same kind of like, uh, uh, reach in Canada, just, um, like real, like sort of, uh, societal changes that didn't seem quite as dramatic, uh, here. And I wonder if this kind of like manifested in different ways, um, in the labor market, uh, one, so, so one aspect of this is job hopping people saying, you know what, you, uh, um, I'm getting, I got the option for more, uh, pay across the street. I'm going, uh, like willing, you know, uh, uh, an eagerness to change things up. And it's not just change uh, different employers, but also, uh, you know, uh, just to start their own business. Um, uh, Canada and the U.S. have seen pretty noticeable differences, different trends in self-employment uh, over um, uh, o- o- over this period. Uh, and on the flip side, uh, the, at this time, the Canadian public sector grew a lot, uh, whereas uh, whereas the the U.S. is uh, didn't didn't see. Uh, that same growth. And so, um, you know, kind of a a different sort of uh, 
response to reopening and just kind of different societal trends there where Canada, we, we didn't have this kind of almost like jump in dynamism that the U.S. had. Uh, the U.S., for instance, uh, there's some data on like jumps in like um, uh, new business applications and things like that uh, as things uh, emerge there. So, you know, like major like kind of like cha- changes in this regard that it seems like in Canada, um, you know, I, I don't have all the comparable data, but it's possible, you know, we went the other direction um, uh, um, uh, and, and, you know, um, uh, kind of th- th- this might have like Im- implications um, for, uh, you know, our, our different trends in productivity growth go- going forward a- a- as well. And, um, and, and, you know, uh, when it comes to like job switching, you know, there's, uh, it, it's definitely a worry of mine that, you know, um, uh, like people, some people might not have sort of like gotten that, ch- t- taken it full advantage of the tight labor market, um, that, that we were in. I think many people, I think it's not, I wouldn't say that um, uh, uh, in some ways people definitely did. People like um, people found jobs in, in better industries. Um, so so in that sense, like I, I think um, uh, some of the underemployment uh, problems, um, challenges that Canada was having, like, were, like do seem to ha- like have improved. But in terms of just uh, hopping from employer to employer to, for, for the better deal. You know, I, I, I do wonder if we, we, uh, if, if there was uh, a bit of a missed opportunity there, because now we're seeing, uh, that, um, the sort of surge in labor demand that kind of happened as things were reopening and, uh, and both and inflation was picking up ha- has really been, um, receding, uh, job postings on indeed, uh, in Canada are down about 30% from their peak, uh, hmm. um, in, in mid 2022. Um, and, uh, and they're still uh, somewhat higher than uh, pre pandemic by, uh, especially in, um, d- depending on the sector, but still in the range of 20, 21%, 22% above, uh, pre pandemic levels, but definitely down, d- d- down from their peak. And so, um, do like, uh, do wonder, you know, like, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the sort of it's not quite the same job seekers market uh, that that it was uh, a, a year and a half ago, and um, and and now you know we, we were seeing we, we've got some questions of where where the economy uh, is headed. Think things have kind of like held up so far, but uh, um, uh, it, it's still a, a tense situation, and uh, we're seeing job switching like rel- on the low side uh, um, these days, and so uh, uh, th- that kind of missed opportunity might. Uh, are, are uh, be sort of um, showing up even more now, right? I like that theory of the social upheaval leading to upheaval in the labor market as well. Intuitively, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's tough to you know like finding the data point uh, you know to prove it in your uh, regression uh, kind of I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sociologist here, but, uh, uh, you know, it, the, the, the economy is, is linked, um, with, with society. And, uh, and, um, uh, I, and so I, I think that's, it's at least part of the story, I think. Yeah. Uh, what about remote work? I imagine you must have access to some of the best data in the country on what's going on in remote work through indeed. Um, what are you seeing in terms of job postings and the remote work front? Are people trying to force everyone back to the office or are we settling into a hybrid system? What's the deal there? 
I think um, both in the job posting numbers and actually in kind of like the um, employment numbers as well, StatCan asks people about uh, their usual work location uh, in the LFS. Um, uh, in both cases, I think what we're seeing is a sh- mainly a shift from fully remote to hybrid remote. Um, the StatCan data actually might show a little more of like a full return to uh on-site um, work uh, than um, what we're seeing in job postings, but I think I, I think, um, uh, I, I, I think uh, the, the rise in hybrid work uh, has been sort of like um, pretty uh, pretty significant. And while there's still um, definitely way more fully remote workers uh, than there were uh, earlier, um, there, there has uh, there has been um, a, a bit of a shift back and. Um, you know, I, I think th- that shift back. Um, I think part of it it's it's on like the employer side. Um, it, I think it's also partially on uh, the job seeker side uh, as well. Uh, that um, uh, and, and there were lots of surveys like back in 2021 um, when you know when hybrid work really was very small. Most a lot of people were still um, fully remote. That a lot of uh, sort of cur- people who were currently working remote. Indicated, you know, their preference would be, you know, two, three days in the office, and um, and, and we have seen a shift back towards that. Um, so, uh, uh, in, in the the latest August numbers, um, uh, approximately twenty four percent of workers weren't working uh, on site full time. And, and I mean, this is kind of is important context uh, for this discussion that three quarters of the labor market or so. Um, remote work isn't even a thing, um, right? Uh, or and I shouldn't say remote work. I should say location flexibility is not really a thing. Uh, they got it. The, the the work is done outside. Is done on on site somewhere. Um, uh, but in the kind of quarter of the or so of the labor market where uh, where there is that location um, f- flexibility, there's kind of been a shift back where um, going back to. Uh, uh, sort of last spring, um, approximately, j- j- roughly just a quarter of uh, of, of workers uh, uh, said uh, that they they were in a hybrid. Uh, uh, sorry, a quarter of these of these location flexible workers um, were were in hybrid arrangements. Um, fast forward to kind of this summer, that share is above forty percent. So kind of sixty forty split. Uh, among the location flexible uh, group, um, that sixty percent still uh, uh, not going to a workplace at all, um, but uh, forty a bit over forty percent uh, are, and um, I, I expect that uh, trend um, to to gradually uh, continue. What I'm a little more skeptical of, though, is a um, it, but you, you know we'll see. But is a full um, shift five days a week back to the office. Um, I think, um, and, and one reason uh, is that um, we, we kind of see it uh, in, um, uh, in, uh, in our job posting and job seeker interest numbers that, uh, that job postings where that sort of mention remote or hybrid work do get, tend to get more job seeker interest than the same job titles um, uh, with uh, th- that don't uh, mention that location flexibility, and especially for hybrid work, it looks like it also translates into sort of employers being able to fill 
um, those job openings potentially a bit faster. Uh, mm. Now, this is kind of like all like correlational uh, with with some controls, but uh, you know, it's not. Uh, we we haven't run, I, I haven't run an A B test. Uh, uh, um, uh, to kind of f- fully, you know, do the experiment on it. But I, I, I think the location flexibility is definitely something that a, at least a subset of um, job seekers um, are, are interested in that will kind of like gr- gravitate toward. And now there, there's kind of a sense, oh, well, you know, this is just, um, this is just temporary, um, uh, uh, you know, w- once there's a recession, everyone's going to be back to the office. You know, I I, I I kind of wonder that maybe th- I, I wonder that maybe that fully remote work might be kind of the more cyclical component of location flexibility, and that hybrid uh, you know offers um, uh, hybrid is a, a f- fair middle ground that um, that uh, especially if it still like offers a bil- you know um, some benefit in attracting um, uh, both quantity and potentially quality. Of uh, of job seekers, there there's still going to be incentive there, and then also you know on the hybrid um, side of things, it, you know, uh, it, it's it's not just job seekers who might appreciate it. I also think like managers probably um, uh, appreciate it as well because managers uh, also you know uh, location flexibility is, is a perk for them uh, as well, and you know if it helps uh, in, in their daily lives, um, uh, then you know um, uh, they may they may also be okay with this sort of like equilibrium of, of, of some at least a lot greater flexibility than what was kind of the the norm in white collar work pre-pandemic i need to ask you about one more thing before i let you go here because every time i have an economist on i, I have to ask about productivity because it remains mysterious to me and uh, i saw you tweeting about a chart showing canadian labor productivity declining for five quarters in a row yeah. And uh, I have to get your theory about why you think this might be happening. Yeah. So, uh, g- good question. And and here we can kind of like we can spitball a bit, but um, productivity is kind of it, it's like uh, it, it's tough to like you know really diagnose because in a lot of ways it's like it's just like a residual of some other kind of. Uh, economic data points that we can actually really track. And what I mean by that is uh, sort of at its most basic level, labor productivity is equal to the value of like real GDP divided by the number of hours people are working. Uh, And so um, like the aggregate number of hours uh, in in the economy. And so if the number, uh, if the labor market is a bit stronger than, uh, than the sort of Overall growth in output, uh, then um, then that's going to show up as uh, as 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 weaker overall productivity. And so, like um, uh, one of the things that uh, uh, um, thing about productivity, you know, th- there was like some pretty wild ups and downs dur- during the pandemic. Sector shut down, reopen, um, uh, c- caused some swings there. But you know, five, the m- most recent year, you know, we're kind of like getting back to normal in terms of. Uh, the economy there, so I don't think we can necessarily um, point the finger there. I think so. I've got uh, you know, as with like every sort of question of you know what's what's driving this trend from here to here, you know, there's there's a cyclical and st- there's cyclical and structural components um, to that. Uh, and so, like on the cyclical side of things, um, uh, there's uh, we we've got um, kind of a sign, you know, uneconomic uncertainty 
uh, in general. And, um, and in the background of that, this sort of massive change in the fundamentals of the economy uh, from uh, this jump in interest rates uh, that's happened uh, all around the world. And um, and you know and so like th- th- that's one area where you know a jump in interest rates kind of just changes the economic calculus for investments for hiring uh, and uh, all, all these um, uh, decisions and so um, th- that's kind of like one is sort of like potential side of the coin that um, as uh, as economic uncertainty and uh, and the impact impact of rate hikes have kind of changed uh, investment decisions that could be sort of like weighing uh, on um, growth in uh, output per hour. Uh, now, also, and kind of like same part of the story, you know, we're talking output per hour on the hour side. Yeah, we were talking a bit earlier about how layoffs uh, um, have remained relatively low. So it does seem like employers are holding on, are hanging on to workers potentially more than they would otherwise in the face uh, of economic weakness, per- perhaps because if the economy stays stronger, uh, then they're going to have to, you know, jump back into the recruitment market that was so difficult uh, to deal with um, uh, over the past uh, few years. And so, um, uh, and and so those are kind of like some of the cyclical, uh, you know, uh, uh, factors going, going on there. And then when we get to like more structural, like we're, we're talking about, you know, these longer run challenges fake facing the Canadian economy and like some of the key policy questions um, uh, uh, surrounding surrounding that I think like on the structural side there's sort of like um, in it, I think there's kind of like two focuses on emphasis um, uh, it, it, like especially like in terms of policy um, where some are kind of like uh, there especially as population growth has surged there's uh, sort of like one camp um, that's uh, th- th- that's kind of f- focused that, on that. Oh, maybe um, you know this surge in population is kind of like d- sort of diluting the incentive of employers to invest because labor has remained more abundant um, than otherwise. You know, I think it's possible. Um, uh, the other kind of like side of the coin and. Um, though is and also policy related is that more so around sort of just like our ability to get stuff done in Canada, both uh, um, kind of like build things um, and, and, you know, execute things. And this is, this is in, in, in the public sector is involved um, in this as well. And just like the quality of, uh, uh, of our sort of infrastructure, kind of infrastructure seen sort of like broadly um, are sort of like, is sort of like another kind of like, uh, sort of like potential like sort of policy question and you know maybe like doing business has has gotten harder over time these 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 kinds uh, of questions and you know for for me uh, like both on the cyclical cyclical versus structural questions but then also you know within this like pretty important like structural debate it's all about like the magnitudes and and this requires like a, like a lot of uh, analysis to actually kind of like put the finger on um, sort of like uh, um, what, what what's going on uh i i, I think um uh i guess like just like adding one one third category uh, one third example um to the list uh also and then, and then maybe this gets uh, to the doing business um side of things but um i i do wonder about like the canadian natural resource industry and um and kind of what 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 the implications of its sort of struggles have been for um, overall Canadian productivity and, uh, 
and the economy in general. Um, uh, the, the Economist, uh, Trevor Tombe, um, every, every year he posts an update of these um, really great graphs showing um, the uh, GDP per capita of um, the Canadian provinces and the, all the U.S. states in, in one graph and kind of adjusting for currency differences and, and things like that. And it always like just stands out to me. And, and it, it, like how Alberta, Saskatchewan and Newfoundland even um, like are, are uh, uh, in terms of like GDP per capita, right up there with many U.S. states. And it's like sort of the, the, the big provinces uh, that, that um, would rank at the bottom of, of uh of U.S. states. And, um, and you know, I think that tells us something like about the Canadian economy, that natural, natural resources are quite important. But then when we kind of like drill down beneath the surface, like the, the sector is not like doing, uh, it, it is not sort of, does not have the same prominence as it was, especially on the investment side. You kind of like break down um, just business and non-residential business investment by province. Um, uh, it, it, a lot. There's a lot. There, there have been a, a lot of like um, a lot of discussion of looking at the Canada-wide number, and the Canada-wide numbers shown a decline compared to sort of the early 2010s. But then, sort of like breaking that out by province, like the decline is coming from Alberta. And other provinces are like most other provinces, Ontario and Quebec, for instance, are kind of stagnant. But like the the drop off in, uh, in in investment in Alberta um, is is like quite stunning, and you know this was like Canada's economic engine for the prior fifteen years, and um, and you know now like what's kind of like what's the, the, the what exactly is caused um, this like to hit to the Alberta economy? You know, I, like it, I, this this isn't exactly my beat. You know, um, I mean, I, I think. You know, it's definitely a political question, but like there's clearly like other kind of just like global commodity market uh, factors and um, and in uh, the kind of like future of energy and the energy transition that are also like um, uh, playing a big part there. And so there, once again, you know, the questions of magnitudes um, uh, in terms of like what accounts for uh, sort of like the, uh, the like Alberta's um, uh, uh uh, challenges over the past almost like 10 years now. Um, but I think this is like also like a, a, an important kind of like big picture question um, that we like, it's important to like qu quantify because uh, you know, it, like there's definitely like political stakes on it or around it, but, but then like to uh, like uh, sort of weigh this sort of like, like how much does policy matter versus how much do things outside of Canada's control matter? Also like huge for, um, uh, th thinking about uh, the natural resource industry and um, one where, you know, it just like it requires some like uh, like hard, uh, hard work uh, from the, on the part of economists to kind of like uh, put some numbers behind this, um, because like it's easy to point uh, to sort of like re like like the, the sources of challenges. But there's so many different challenges uh, in, in quantifying them to kind of like get at the root cause, like the, to get at the biggest bang for buck for where we can make. Um, adjustments is sort of like a is a big deal as well. Sure. 
Okay, well, that was a great answer. That uh, I think gives people a lot to to think about and illuminates that that question really nicely. So I think that's a good place to to leave it for now. But Brendan, thank you so much for doing that. That was fantastic. And this has been another episode of Free Lunch by the Peak. If you like this and you want more episodes like it, you can search for Free Lunch by the Peak wherever you get your podcasts. And also leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We really appreciate it. Thank you to Brendan Bernard for coming on and thank you for listening and we will see you next week.